Welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. Thanksgiving was last week, so we'll have an abbreviated edition of the podcast this week. You'll hear from Josh Brown and Maury Hirsch-Gordon again in the next episode of TBT's podcast. This week, I spoke to Austin Green of Los Crossovers. Austin's one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter for all the updates that I need on international basketball. A ton of TBT guys are playing overseas, specifically in Spain, where Austin has kind of a specialty. And he'll give us all the information about those leagues, how they work, and what guys overseas are experiencing when they're playing in all the leagues across Europe and really around the world. All right, joining us now is Austin Green. Austin, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Austin, when I first started following international basketball a couple years ago when TBT started, you were one of the first guys that I kind of took note of um, because of your unique Twitter handle, which is Los Crossovers. Can you talk a little bit about yourself and your background with international basketball and how you got so interested specifically in Spain? Yeah, so basically, um, I went to journalism school at the University of Montana, and I graduated in May of 2014. And throughout my senior year, um, I knew that after I graduated, I wanted to travel um, and I thought that I wanted to do something basketball related. So I was just kind of looking for ways to combine the two. Um, And I started just doing a lot of research on uh, European basketball and Spanish basketball in particular, because I I already spoke a little bit of Spanish. Um, I wanted to explore the country and I knew the, the level of basketball there was really high. So that looked like a great option. Um, so basically I just started the, the blog, it's loscrossovers.com. Um, and I launched that in October of 2014, just a, a couple weeks after I arrived in Madrid. Um, and basically I just kind of landed in Madrid, uh, went around to some of the various clubs, talked to their PR people, um, got some press passes to games and then started, started covering games and just, you know, diving in as much as I could. Um, I was every morning, you know, I was reading uh, news about all the Spanish teams in Spanish, trying to stay up to date, you know, watching as many games as possible. Um, yeah, so I just kind of just kind of dove right in. And, and the level of basketball is so high that it's really, really easy to get sucked into. Well, it's uh, ba- yeah, and I was going to ask you about that in a second. But what I'm really curious about, too, is it must be really welcoming for a lot of the Americans that are playing overseas to hear an American voice asking them questions either before or after games and things of that sort. Have you found that they're very receptive to you? being from the United States? Definitely. Um, I think a lot of them, uh, kind of when I would, when I would start to ask a question, they would be kind of surprised or like taken aback at first to hear an American accent. Um, but yeah, I I think it was refreshing for a lot of the players because you listen to them do interviews, um, with people who are, uh, you know, not native English speakers, whether they're Spanish or, or from another European country. And you can kind of see the players are, uh, just kind of giving really cliched answers and everything because they they know that if they if they talk in depth that the person that, that's interviewing them might not really be able to understand them. Um, so it's just a lot of cliches, a lot of really short sentences and stuff like that. Um, and then I would come in and I felt like I could actually have a conversation with these guys. And I you know I think it was probably probably refreshing for some of them. There's so many guys that have played in TBT that are playing not just in Spain but really all throughout Europe and the rest of the world and. Uh, as you start to learn more about what they do and where they play around the world, you kind of get sucked into this idea of how different the structure of the leagues and just playing overseas actually is. And I was hoping you can tell us a little bit about, you know, how does it work in Spain? You know, I, we know that there's the top leagues, but, you know, how do these structures really come together? Yeah. So um, in, in general, each country will have a couple different leagues. There will be the top professional league. Um, so in Spain, that's the ACB um, but every, every country essentially in Europe has its own top professional league. And then there are different tiers below that, that are the kind of like minor leagues, I guess. Um, 
So, you know, there might be in, in Spain, for example, there's the ACB and then there's uh, what's called Leb Gold and then Leb Silver. And then there's a couple other leagues below that, too, which is a lot of like young guys. Um, but so basically how it works is if you're in the if you're in the second division and you win your league, then uh, theoretically you jump up to the first league. And uh, if you're in the top league and you come in last place or second to last place, then you're in danger of being relegated down to the bottom league, which is kind of how their soccer leagues work. Um, and I, I think uh, when the people were planning European basketball leagues, they, they modeled them after soccer. Um, so relegation and promotion happens um, in Spain. It hasn't been happening as much the last couple of years because the teams that have been coming up from the second division haven't uh, like financially been able to survive in the league. Um, cause that, that's kind of one of the, one of the problems with it, I guess, is if you're coming up from the second division, you're not going to have a very good budget. Uh, you're not going to be able to attract the top talent and you might just, you know, be on your way back down. Um, so that's kind of how the leagues work domestically. And then the top teams in the domestic leagues will also play in international competitions. So the top one is EuroLeague, which is 16 teams, uh, from various countries. There's four from Turkey, uh, three from Spain, two from Russia, and then one from uh, Italy, Israel, Lithuania, Serbia, and Germany. So that's that's like the top tier league. And then uh, Euro Cup is a notch below that. And that's, you know, the fourth and fifth and sixth best teams from Spain and Turkey and uh, Russia and things like that. Um, and then there's also new this year, there's something called the FIBA Champions League, which um, is, is definitely a step down from that. But they've got a lot of French teams, a lot of Italian teams. Um, and they're, they're trying to kind of build something. They're kind of competing with EuroLeague right now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation. It can all be, be kind of confusing. So hopefully I condensed that down. No, that was very clear and, and concise. So basically it sort of works like the, the FIFA or the, um, um, UEFA Champions League. Yeah. Or the EuroLeague where you've got the top teams in each of the country's leagues and they're basically playing in EuroLeague competition. They're not playing in EuroLeague and Euro Cup at the same time. Right. Right. So uh, just for, for example, uh, Real Madrid is the best uh, team in Spain. They will play their Spanish league games usually on Sunday, and then they'll play in the EuroLeague uh, usually Thursday or Friday. And the EuroLeague is doing something different this year. Um, they, they kind of switched up the format of the regular season. So like this week, for example, each team in the EuroLeague had to play um, a game on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then a game Thursday, Friday. And then they'll play in their domestic league. So you're, you're competing in two different leagues simultaneously. Uh, like the results in the Spanish league wouldn't affect the results in EuroLeague, you know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the basic outline of it. And then it seems like in a lot of the countries, there's also sort of national tournaments like you would have in soccer, like the FA Cup or something similar to that in each of the countries too, right? Yeah, yeah, those are uh, kind of like the cup tournaments. Um, so in Spain, they have the Copa del Rey, which just means the King's Cup, um, and they ha they have uh, something similar in Turkey, Greece, kind of all the all the various countries, and that's kind of like a mid season tournament. Um, so just for example, for the ACB, the Copa del Rey is usually in February, and it's the uh, it's the top eight teams up to that point of the season, like up up until uh, week 17 or week 16, like the halfway point, basically. So uh, the top eight teams at that time, uh, plus the host team um, will compete in a little like three day tournament. That's a, a big event. Um, it, it definitely means a lot to the teams like it, the, the trophy at the at the cup tournament isn't as important as a trophy in the finals at the end of the year. But it's still very important for the teams. 
Um, and then for the teams that are, that are not in it, it's kind of like the all-star break for the NBA um, where those guys just, you know, have the week off. One of the things that you were mentioned a second ago was how the top teams in the second division will jump up to the top division and the bottom teams, in the top division jump down. There's got to be a ton of pressure at the end of the season for those teams that are on the cusp, huh? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and that's why sometimes it's frustrating, uh, because I went over to Spain with the, uh, with the purpose of covering draft prospects. Like I was going to look at it from that angle, um, uh, because, you know, I figured that's what people in America would care the most about, um, is, you know, who are these young guys over there? Like who the hell is Kristaps Porzingis and Mario Hazonia and all of these guys. But the frustrating part, um, from that perspective is at the end of the year, there's so much pressure. And a lot of times these, uh, these promising young guys are on bad teams, so you'll see them kind of get benched because the coaches have to tighten their rotations, play with veterans. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough environment because it's not just like, uh, you know, the NBA, you miss the playoffs, maybe the coach gets fired or something like that. And, you know, it's not a great situation, but some, sometimes in Europe, the whole team just goes down and, and, you know, players jump ship and head elsewhere. Well, I was going to ask you about this because one of the things that is really fascinating to me is how many teams the guys in TBT end up playing for. You know, if they have a five-year career overseas, they might have already played for seven different teams. Like, why right. is it that it seems like so many of them, like 90 plus percent, are playing for a team for one year, six months or whatever, why they're jumping? Like, there's, it's almost the opposite of the United States where they really value the continuity of having the team together. Right, for sure. So I think um, I think European teams they they definitely value continuity, and you'll see it at the top. Um, so the team that just won the Euroleague title last year, Seska Moscow, they brought back basically their whole team, and they they look like they're you know on track to win it again, or at least you know be in the top two or three. Um, so continuity is definitely valued, but these guys move around because they're on short term contracts. Uh, European teams don't have the budget; the NBA teams do, obviously, um, and so it's it's just harder to lock guys down for long-term deals if you're looking at the the top top teams um you know your Cesca moscow's your real madrid's your barcelona's they'll get guys on three or four year deals for you know a, a million or a couple million each year and they'll be able to hold on to their guys but the other teams they're basically just looking to sign guys on one-year deals um and and if you're a player if you're you know if you're playing for kind of a mid-tier spanish team and you play really well one year and then Barcelona or Real Madrid or one of these big clubs in Turkey or elsewhere comes for you, you're going to, you're going to go and, you know, kind of follow that, follow that ladder up and, and, you know, keep making more and more money. Um, so I, I think that's probably just the biggest reason is, you know, the teams don't have, uh, the same budget. They don't have, uh, the big TV deals that the NBA has. And so you see these guys kind of move around a lot more. One of the guys that is in the ACB in Spain this year from TBT that's really having that type of season uh, with one of the mid-level go- uh, teams is Scott Bamforth uh, with Bilbao. Can you talk a little bit about him uh, and what you've seen of him play this year in ACB? Yeah, yeah, I, I love Bamforth. Um, he's been a really good player in the ACB for a few years now. Uh, he was on he was on Sevilla a couple years ago. He had a he had a breakout year with Sevilla um, on the same team with uh, Thomas Sadoransky, who plays for the Wizards now. Uh, Chris Epps Porzingis was on that team as like a 17-year-old, I think. Uh, so he had a really good year with Sevilla and they were kind of, um, you know, a, a mid-tier team. And then he moved to uh, Murcia, another mid-tier team, and then up to Bilbao, uh, which is definitely a step up. Bilbao is kind of one of the traditional Spanish powers, like top five, top six teams. Um but yeah, he's, he's had a great year. He's just such a good score. Um, he's, he's small for a shooting guard, but in Europe, that's pretty common where you see shooting guards who are, you know, 6'2", 6'3". 
Um, he's just got a great shooting stroke. He's so competitive. Uh, he's, he's a really great leader. Everyone in Sevilla absolutely loved him. He, he played for Sevilla last year as well. Um, so basically he left the team, came back, and then uh, I was living in Sevilla last year and just the fans loved him, the organization, everyone speaks really highly of him. And yeah, he's having a great season. Uh, he was MVP for the first month for the ACB um, and looks like he's going to you know, have a year where he finishes top five, top six in scoring and, and leads Bilbao to the playoffs. So where does that go? Like where does a guy like Scott Bamforth go? from Bilbao does he stay there for multiple seasons and become you know like a Bilbao legend or is it more like he's trying to get to even a up is there a, what's the tier basically maybe even above that yeah so from Bilbao the step up uh so Bilbao's in Euro Cup the step up would be to one of the three Spanish EuroLeague teams like Real Madrid Barcelona um Basconia or he could go to, you know, one of the Turkish EuroLeague teams or a Russian EuroLeague team. Um, Tur- Turkey and Russia have a lot of money right now. So that's what you see players do a lot. Um, or he could kind of just, you know, peak and, and be in at that Bilbao level for a while. Um, you know, it's, it is a, it is a pretty big step up going from a team like Bilbao where you're playing in the EuroLeague or Euro Cup and then going up to EuroLeague. Um, a lot of guys do it, but it's, it's a noticeable step up. Um, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he stays in Bilbao. I'm sure they're very happy to have him there. Um, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if one of these bigger clubs with a bigger budget comes calling. But again, they're not like traded, right? They're signed at the end of right. the season. It's not like they're trading, right. you know, a one point guard for power forward or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not like the NBA where you have your trade deadline deals, you know, and everyone hops on the trade machine and, and sees what what they can do. <laughs> right. um, it's basically like you're, you're usually with the team for the full season. Um, and then, you know, your contract's up in June, you're free to sign wherever. Um, some guys will move, uh, will move mid season because they do have, uh, transfers and loans. So basically, um, so basically like if, if Barcelona, they've had a lot of injury problems this year, if they were like, we really need a shooting guard, let's go see if we can, if we can go get Scott Bamforth, for example, they could go to Bilbao, see what his contract is, see if he's got a EuroLeague buyout clause, and then pay that buyout, and he could jump to Barcelona midseason. Um, but if that didn't happen, then yeah, he would have to wait until the summer. Um, some leagues they have like kind of a restricted free agent uh, rule. So if you sign a one-year deal, and then uh, or, so, or sorry, so say you sign a two-year deal, and then after the first year, you're a restricted free agent within that country. If you return to that country, you have to stay with your team, but you could go to Turkey, Russia, Germany, wherever. Another one of my favorite guards from TBT that has been making a great living for himself over in Spain the last couple of seasons is Davin White, who's playing with uh, Tenerife this year. Any thoughts on him? And he's been playing pretty well at the beginning of the season, too. Yeah, White, um, he's he's just an amazing little point guard. Um, he, he's actually, I guess he's kind of a shooting guard in a point guard's body. But um, yeah, he's great. Just a great scorer. Uh, he struggled the last couple games, but he was just on fire at the beginning of the year. He was he was the MVP for the third week of the season. He had 28 points. Um, but even I think he's 34 years old now, but he's still just really quick, smooth jump shot and, and just so smart. Like you can see that he's a veteran. You know, he's played in multiple countries for, uh, you know, more than a decade. So he's he's seen it all. Um, and yeah, he's he's fantastic. And Tenerife has been uh, one of the really pleasant surprises in Spain this year. Uh, I think everyone kind of saw them as like a top 10 team, but because of guys like White who are playing so well, they're, you know, they're up near the top of the table with the, with the teams with the biggest budgets. You're obviously focused on the ACB, but you obviously watch 
the rest of Europe as well. I mean, what is the top league in Europe in your view from top to bottom? Um, yeah. So if, if you're talking um, continent wide, it's definitely, you know, EuroLeague's the top um, and then EuroCup below that. Uh, behind that, I would put ACB at the top. And that's not just uh, that's not just bias. That's it's the league is just so deep top to bottom, which is kind of what separates it from Turkey and Russia and some of these other leagues uh, that have really great teams at the top. So in in the ACB, there are 17 teams. And if you're looking at like the 12th or the 13th best team, they could probably jump over to Russia or Turkey and finish like top five, top six. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then, and then after the ACB, um, I would say probably the VTB League, which is in Russia. Uh, they've got some really good teams. Seska Moscow, uh, Kimki Moscow, Lokomotiv Kuban, uh, Zenit St. Petersburg. And then Turkey has four EuroLeague teams right now, all of, all of them in kind of the Istanbul area. Um, there's there's a lot of money in Turkish basketball right now, so that's why you see uh, guys, guys who are stars in Europe, like Brad Wanamaker, who I know played in TBT. Uh, he's with uh, Darushafaka in Istanbul. So uh, Turkey's, Turkey's really good, but that's a top-heavy league. Like the, the top four or five teams are great, but once you get to the bottom, it's you know kind of ugly. Um and then behind that, just loosely, like Italy, uh, France, Germany's up there, and then maybe Israel after that. What are your thoughts on the best fans, like the best ones that you've seen in Europe? Um, the the best I've seen just in general, like so, so not in person, but the best fans I've seen um, are probably for uh, Servena Zvezda, which is in Serbia, in Belgrade. They're absolutely wild, and they have this huge arena, like 18,000 capacity, which is really, really big for Europe, and they just pack them in, and they're going crazy with chants and flares and everything. Uh, Greek Inside, fans, inside they do that, right? Inside, yeah. yeah. yeah inside. Greek, Greek fans and Turkish fans are kind of notoriously rowdy and crazy, um, and it's some, sometimes that creates a great environment, but sometimes that also creates some dangerous uh, situations. <laughs> There's been a lot of a lot of instances with players uh you know having things thrown at them from the fans and referees uh you know in in, in danger um so yeah turkish turkish fans and greek fans are, are pretty notorious spanish fans are a little more calm um they kind of uh I, th- I think spanish fans are yeah in general just more chill uh but uh, for Spanish, Spain, Spanish Bas- people Bas- probably yeah, in Bas- general. I'd say Spanish in general are probably a little bit more chill than most of the other. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, they you know they wake up from their their siesta, their midday nap, and have a big lunch, and then go watch basketball. They're not going to be jumping up and down and screaming and you know <laughs> all like of a that. Good way but to live. a lot of these exactly. um, a lot of these really big basketball teams in Europe, whether it's Madrid or Barcelona or Galatasaray uh, over in Turkey, Panathinaikos in Greece, they're all affiliated with the. Uh, football soccer club as well and i'm curious like what's the overlap of the fandom you know if fc barcelona basketball is doing really well are the soccer fans excited about that how does that how does that work definitely um so so soccer over here is um a lot more popular for sure like there's no doubt about that um but yeah if you're a fan of uh if you're a fan of Barcelona basketball, you're probably a fan of Barcelona football. If you're a fan of, you know, Real Madrid basketball, you're probably a fan of Real Madrid football. Um, so you definitely see that fandom crossover, the rivalries crossover. Um, so, you know, if, if, uh, the, the two big teams in, in Greece, Panathinaikos and Olympiakos, like if you're fans of those teams for basketball, you're fans of those teams in every sport and you hate the other team in every sport. Um, like one of, one of my good friends, Rob Scott, who I do a podcast with, um, what's the name of it, by he, the way, you can plug it. 
Uh, it's the Euroleague Adventures podcast. Right. So th- yeah, he he started that with a couple other guys, and then I just kind of latched on. Um, but basically, so he, he works with a guy in uh, in London who's an Olympiacos fan, and he's Olympiacos everything. So it's basketball, it's water polo, it's soccer, it's you know any, anything that you can imagine. They'll they'll kind of follow that club. Um, let me ask you this: from a style of play perspective, I hear this quite a bit from the guys that play in TBT that it's very different over there. What's the biggest distinction between what we see in the N- and the um, NBA and what's going over over there in Europe in terms of style of play? Yeah, I, I guess kind of the obvious one is uh, the athleticism isn't as good in Europe as it is in the NBA. Um, so if you're a really good American athlete, you know, you can come over here and maybe do some things that you couldn't do, um, you know, if you're if you're one of these guys who couldn't quite make the NBA because you couldn't beat someone off the dribble or you couldn't finish at the rim or, uh, you know, stay in front of guys. If these guys go to Europe, they might find a little more luck um, just because they'll probably be more athletic. Other than that, um, the, the style of play is very physical. The refereeing can be pretty inconsistent. So sometimes you don't know if you're going to have a really, really physical game or if they're going to call everything. Um, they, they, they do get up and down uh, for sure, but sometimes it's uh, you know not quite as fast-paced as the NBA, just the general speed of everything. Um, but yeah, and, and I think also European offenses um, are, can be a little more sophisticated sometimes. There's more ball movement, more man movement, a lot less one-on-one. Um, and that's where you see guys struggle a lot when they come over. So if, if you played at a big-time NCAA school and you were the top scorer and you were used to going one-on-one, uh, and you come over here to Europe, you might have some problems because the coach is going to want the ball moving around. Um, so, yeah, that's I, th- I think probably stylistically that's the biggest difference. Let me ask you, how do you think a team of Europeans only, so in other words, no Americans on the squad, how would a team of Europeans only do in TBT? Uh, they might win it, actually. <laughs> they probably would. Um, who, do you, who would you pick? Like, what would your lineup be? Yeah, so I, I think um, point guard right now, probably the best point guard um, in Europe is Milos Teodosic, who plays for the Serbian national team. Um, I know a lot of American fans are familiar yep. with him just because he's played well against the USA in the Olympics. Um, but yeah, he's he's fantastic. Um, and then Nando Decolo, who's his teammate at Seska Moscow, he played in the NBA for a bit uh, with the Raptors and the Spurs. He was MVP of the EuroLeague last year. Uh, he's just an amazing shooting guard. Um, also in, in, in the backcourt, I'd put, uh, Sergio Yule from Spain, Bogdan Bogdanovich from, uh, Fenerbahce, although the Sacramento Kings, I think own his NBA rights. So I don't think he'd be allowed in TBT. Um, s- small forward, probably Adam Hanga, uh, Luigi Datome, who played in the NBA. Um, Andrea Bargnani just came over. Uh, you know, former number one overall pick, had a solid NBA career for a couple of years and then kind of flamed out. Um, but he's actually been playing really well. And then center, I don't know, probably Ekpe Udo, who was also in the yep. NBA. Jan Vesely was in the NBA for a bit. Um, you know, these guys have come over to Europe and, and have had great careers. Um, so, yeah, I would, I'd probably go with those guys as like the starting top five, top six. Um and those are probably the top five, top six guys in Europe. Some of the American guys are up there. Tyrese Rice, uh, Brad Wanamaker, Anthony Randolph. Some of these American guys are having great careers over there, but they're still, you know, Europeans at the very, very top. Right. Do you think that a team of Europeans would ever jump in to TPT? Like, I don't know. Them it, from doing it? Yeah, it'd be possible. It'd be fun. Um, I think probably national team commitments would probably be the biggest problem um, just because every uh, – 
every odd numbered year, there's a Eurobasket tournament, which is the national teams playing. And that has, uh, you know, Olympic qualification, um, you know, that, uh, Olympic qualification kind of hangs on that. Some. So that's probably the biggest thing, but um, I could see it happening. Maybe, maybe not the top tier guys because, you know, they make a lot of money. They're under contract for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, I could definitely see a team of Europeans getting into it and, and probably playing really well. You've had a chance to kind of go through the list of uh, TBT players and guys that have, have played in TBT in the past. And I'm curious if there are any names that stick out to you, maybe that haven't played in TBT yet, American guys that uh, are doing well overseas and and in Europe that you think would make a great addition to the event? Yeah, basically um, any, any American that's on a Euro league team is, is essentially an NBA caliber player, but maybe like, you know, the 14th or the 15th guy on an NBA team. So they, they choose to play in Europe, um, you know, because they have a bigger role. It's more fun. They might make more money um, if they're on the top team, but just for just looking at, um, some of the guys on like Seska Moscow, um, did, did Kyle Hines play he in did. TBT? Yeah, he did. Okay. So, so Hines is fantastic. Uh, and Moscow also has some other great Americans, um, Corey Higgins, Aaron Jackson, these guys would be great in it. Um, if you're looking at Fenerbahce, they've got a really good, really good point guard, Bobby Dixon, who'd probably be great in it. Um, Tyrese Rice competed, right? He was on a roster and I think there was a, um, a- either a contractual issue or minor back injury that prevented him from playing, but he was on a roster last year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Rice would be fantastic. He's a, he went, he went to Boston college. I think he's yep. like a six point guard, uh, lefty, just the, the most killer hesitation dribble you'll ever see great shooter. Um, so yeah, he, he'd be fantastic in it, but yeah, basically any American guy who's on a Euro league team could probably jump into TBT and do really well. Um, especially when, when you've got guys like, uh, you know, uh, Kyle Fogg and uh, Will Clyburn, these guys who've had great success in TBT and then they're playing well in Europe. Um, you know, you can kind of see how that would translate. Austin, I really appreciate your time. You've been more than generous in giving us your, your insight on European basketball. Hopefully we'll check in again soon. Sounds good, man. Thank you. One. Okay, great conversation with Austin Green. Hopefully we'll hear from him again soon. Wanted to say congratulations to Jeff Wood of Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Jeff got the TBT trivia question correct and he was the first one to get it correct. He knew that Davin White of Team 23 is TBT's all-time leading career scorer with 214 points. The next three positions are actually all overseas elite guys, which may not surprise TBT fans too much. The leader among them is Eric McCollum with 191 career points. DJ Kennedy comes in second at 189. And Kyle Fogg, who had a 42-point outburst in the semifinals on ESPN last summer, is actually third among overseas elites and fourth overall with 176 career points. Thanks again for listening to TBT's podcast. We'll be back with an extended edition next week with all the updates that you need on TBT and all the guys playing in TBT from around the world. 